Hello and welcome to the Biz Design Enterprise Architecture Podcast. My name is Will Scott, and in these podcasts, we talk to leaders in the areas of enterprise architecture and how they and their teams deliver value to their organizations in advancing strategy, optimizing operations, and reducing and managing risks. In this interview, we speak with Dr. Michelle Supper. Michelle is a Senior Advisory Executive Architect at ServiceNow, and in this role, Michelle consults with a wide range of enterprises and their enterprise architecture practices to help them with their digital transformations. In this session, Michelle draws on her wealth of experience and gives her insights on how EAs can have the most impact in a company's digital transformation journey, in particular, the subtle and oftentimes overlooked role of EAs translating the vision and the needs for a transformation between all the layers of a company, from the C-level on down. So let's go to that interview now. So, Michelle, welcome to the show. We're delighted to have you on today. Uh, I think it'd be great for our audience if you could perhaps just introduce yourself, who you work for, what you do for them, and maybe a little bit of a potted history of your career background. Okay, thank you, and thank you for having me here. Um, I'm Dr. Michelle Supper. I'm Senior Advisory Executive Architect at ServiceNow. I've been here for two and a half years. Um, before this, I was working uh, as, an, as an independent enterprise architect, as a consultant, working in public and private sector um, for Ministry of Defence and all kinds of um, projects I can't tell anyone about. Um, but here at ServiceNow, I help people to do major digital transformations, um, particularly with the Now platform and seeing how they can get the most value out of platform-based thinking. Fantastic. So an independent enterprise architect consultant and also in the role you are now in service now, I imagine you get to see lots of different enterprise architecture organizations and approaches and probably a good view of what goes well and, and what could do better. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Um, so I get to see enterprise architecture in use across all kinds of organizations, um, really from banks to consumer based retail type organizations. Um, also, with my work with the Open Group, I get to see how uh, various different organizations use um, enterprise architecture there as well. I get to experience the enterprise architecture from hundreds of different companies by, by getting to meet people through that organization. Fantastic. Well, the topic we're going to talk about today is um, how enterprise architects and enterprise architecture organizations can build the case to be part of digital transformation. That's the sort of question uh, before us, and um, I'm really looking forward to getting your insight. But maybe before we sort of go into uh, answering the question, we'll begin by, you know, digital transformation, Michelle. We hear that phrase all the time. It's somewhat tired and overused. I mean, almost everything is digital transformation. Could you just give us your definition when you when you talk about that, what you mean by it? Uh, yes, it's, it's a little controversial, really. I'll give you my approximation to a definition. I'm sure everyone's going to have their own version. Um, there's a difference in my mind between change and transformation. So something which is involving change um, often swaps one technology for another, but doesn't materially change what a company does. Um, a transformation is something which can affect or improve or even introduce a whole new business capability to an organization, something which is far more substantial than a change. Um, so, if you're doing a digital transformation, then that new business capability is achieved through the use of information technology or the use of data. 
And is that, I, lo- I love that distinction, change and transformation. And you use the phrase there, business capability. Is that, in your mind, is that kind of like the currency of transformation? We're talking about establishing new business uh, capabilities or eliminating old business capabilities. Is that the primary one? Or can we also transform, I don't know, technology platforms and processes and things like that as well? So business capability in enterprise architecture comprises people, process and technology. Um, it's, it's one of those very rare art. Uh, artifacts within um sorry it's one of those very rare stereotypes within architecture which actually encompasses other stereotypes as well so when you talk about changing a business capability that can involve changes to the people within an organization so it's organization structure the roles the staff um, but it can also mean changes to the process the way that they do something um, and the technology that they use and underlying that, if you wanted to extend the definition, the data and how that flows through their organization, even the infrastructure that it sits on. And I know business capability based planning sort of emerged in popularity over the last decade or so. Do you see it widely used now? Is it widely adopted? Is it generally a concept used by enterprises or what's your, what's your experience of its, its adoption? Um, it's certainly something that ought to be adopted by organizations. Um, the organizations um, I've seen, the, the maturity of enterprise architecture capability that they have um, varies. And the, the best organizations do have their, their capability maps absolutely sorted out. Um, and those are used strategically to plan what the organization is going to do. And everything is aligned to that capability map. Um, when, when an organization has a capability map, um, I know Yes, one of the first questions I ask them, if, if they say, yes, we have that map, I know that they're really good at enterprise architecture. I know they're taking it seriously um, because when you have that view, you can connect the different layers of enterprise architecture together and you can start to think holistically about your organization and make changes which are going to be aligned to the strategy of the whole organization. I got it. So our topic today is how enterprise architects can build the case uh, for participating in digital transformation. Just by the words you're using, it sounds like Enterprise architectures have to be completely intimate with it. They're necessary for it because transformation affects capabilities and capabilities is a sort of grouping of different, you know, enterprise architecture components. Is that is that how you see it? Yes, absolutely. Um, too often um, I'll see a customer who maybe says, we want to change everything. And then you'll say to them, change what? And they won't know exactly what it is that they have even um, if you say, what applications do you have? They can't give you a list. If you say, how are the applications that you've got linked together? They couldn't possibly tell you. If you're in that kind of a situation um, as an organization, it's a very stressful organi- a stressful situation to be in. You can't manage what you don't know you have. And you can't effectively change what you don't know you have. So um, quite often you'll find, especially larger or older organizations, almost um, paralyzed and unable to shift or to change or to be agile because they have so much technical debt. They have so much uh, legacy software. They're afraid and they don't know what they can turn off safely and still maintain um, all their normal operations. So having the enterprise architecture, having that insight to say, yes, we have these systems and we can manage those properly or we can take these out and substitute something else or we can move this functionality onto something else. Um, that's tremendously powerful. Um, when you're trying to do a transformation and you want to move a significant amount of functionality from one place to another, let's say from old legacy software onto a platform, or if you wanted to retire a whole bunch of applications, 
you really do need to have that wider insight. You have to be able to see what you have. Right, exactly. And it's uh, I always think about it like um, it's a collection of these processes and organizations and applications and technologies. They're all massively interconnected. And the enterprise architect's role day one is to figure out those interactions. In fact, I had Roger Belden, Belden on um, from the Process Renewal Group a couple of weeks ago, and he just wrote a book called um, Collecting, Correcting and Connecting the Dots, um, which seems to be the case. So it seems to me the case is pretty straightforward for why enterprise architects should be involved, but how do they make the case to perhaps the business stakeholders who don't necessarily fathom or understand uh, enterprise architecture and maybe see them as the standards guys, for example, which I know is oftentimes a a, a, a stigma that the enterprise architects come around with. Well, there's, there's nothing wrong with standards. Uh, <laughs> having contributed to eight international standards myself, I can wholly support standards. Um, but yes, it's often what you'll find in a, in a larger organisation is you'll have uh, C-level people who are uh, concerned with strategy. They they are very high-level thinkers. They look down from a great height at the organization and see the whole thing and will try and make decisions. But what they're unaware of are the things happening in the lower down layers where the politics is very different, where the experience of life is very different. And so the changes that the the people at sea level feel they need to make could be very different to change uh, uh, transformational programs or change programs that are happening in middle management. And then again, how people feel at the end user stage about how they want to protect certain parts of their work. So you might have a whole group of users whose entire career centers around the use of three or four individual pieces of software. If those pieces of software are retired, let's say, they won't know what to do, they'll need retraining, and that's very stressful for them. They might then be uh, resistant to change. (laughs) Um, And so... there's this whole spectrum where we have to try as enterprise architects to understand the needs of the whole organization. So understanding the the drivers and the goals of the sea level, and at the same time, understand the stresses and the pressures happening further down in the organization, bring all of these things together and into alignment and help everybody to make that journey together so that everybody is supportive of the changes that's going to happen. Everyone can see the benefits of those changes. So, when we when we start to bring um, the architecture diagrams together, there's there's an interesting uh, twist in how things are communicated. So the message up to sea level will always be quite a high level view, quite abstracted, showing the solution concept, bringing everything back to the high level strategy, and then the lower down the organisation you go, the more detail you have to include, all the way down to the level required for implementation itself. How will the data flow? Which things will be um, integrated into which other things? Even down to data fields sometimes to say this data field has to be mapped to this one so that these two two applications can communicate. So each layer has its own uh, level of communication and you have to make very clear. And so you're communicating through those layers and you're communicating between the layers to make sure that um, the needs of each are made clear to everybody else. That's fascinating. I've never really explored that area before, and it's fascinating you bring it up. I mean, enterprise architecture often has the reputation of, you know, it's boxes to connected to boxes with lines, you know, in nice diagrams according to some standard. But you're bringing in a whole new layer of consideration as enterprise architects need to understand 
organizationally, politically, um, how organizations work and their role, the way you talk about it is very much uh, being that lubricant for change by, by facilitating communication from the top all the way down and making sure those pieces are missed. Is, is that how you see it? Yes, absolutely. There's a, there's a huge communication piece, um, often translating. So um, particularly when I used to work with, with defense industry, there, there was a translation job that I would do, sitting effectively between the people at the top who held the budgets, who are very business-minded, and the people at the technical side who are you know, concerned with the detail of how systems would be put together. And the two spoke very different languages. So trying to explain and communicate the needs of each to the other side in language that each could understand was really important. Um, and, but also trying to make sure that um, the benefits could be extracted. So when, when a technical team said, we want to do these things, it was trying to translate the things that they wanted to do into business benefits that the, the, the budget holders could understand and therefore support. That's interesting. And I wonder, have you ever had, uh, um, it seems to me some, one of the big things is always difficult to quantify the benefit of is the paying off of technical debt. We know we should pay off that technical debt, but it's hard to articulate in hard dollar terms exactly what the benefit of that is and when, when we might receive that benefit. Is that an experience you've had? Like, how do, how do you make the case for doing just hygiene things and cleaning up that technical debt sometimes? Application rationalization is something I specialize in. Um, and you see it particularly in older organizations, ones which have had a few decades to accumulate um, a whole bunch of different applications. So when an organization starts, they will have a very clean set of applications. And then as the years go by, some of those will be taken out, replaced, they'll move on to other stuff, they'll take on new ones. And if they haven't got good governance in place as well, they can quickly mushroom. So within a few decades, I have several thousand applications in use across the organization. Um, I don't want to give personal examples here, <laughs> but there was an organization I found once, a national organization that had 79 different case management systems. Wow. Um, and across the whole country, um, what that meant was that if if someone was, if, if their details were put into one of these case management systems, um, if it had to be trans transferred to a different one, none of them were actually connected. So it had to be printed out, posted, and then rekeyed into the new systems. Every time this happened, um, you're looking at work that has to be done. It's manual work. And you're looking as well, at, because there's these 79 different systems, each of these has to be maintained separately, licensed separately, paid for separately. And all the staff internally have to know how to use those different systems. That makes it very difficult. So let's say you've trained a member of staff, five years have been on their job in one particular area. They decide to move. They want to stay within the organization. They go somewhere else to do the same job, and now they have to learn an entirely different tool set. So simply by having all these different tools within the organization, it stops people from being able to move easily, and it multiplies the amount of, of cost and complexity. And that's before we start looking at how these tools are going to integrate with other systems and how all of those integrations then have to be maintained when all the other platforms and applications have to be updated around. So, so, there's, a, so there's, a, there's a cost argument you can make, absolutely. You're going to relieve yourself of a bunch of licenses or whatever that might be. There's just a management overhead, a headache argument you can make, less headache, not dealing with 79 systems. And then it seems to me your third argument is an agility argument. We can be agile, we can move faster, we can do things better. 
And I imagine that's 79 systems. That's that's crazy. And I imagine, you know, particularly companies who've been through large rounds of M&A and bought a bunch of other companies have ended up with, you know, application sprawl, um, as, 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 as we call it. And often you end up with duplicates, you know, two or three different ways of doing things just because of merger. And because the organizations merge, uh, but the tools don't. You know, from my background, my PhD is in astrophysics, so I used to look at how galaxies merge. It's interesting, where two galaxies hit each other, the stars never hit each other. They're far enough away that they don't. What hits each other is the dust. And and it's the same, you know, when, when, when the dust collides with each other, when two galaxies merge, you get a whole load of star formation and clouds and activity going on. And it's the same when two organizations bash together when they when they emerge in an acquisition, because then you have the, the applications will just sit there. <laughs> but what clashes will be the data and the people and the processes. And you'll have all of these uh, duplications of functionality and complexity that gets introduced into a system, which will slow everything down unless it's actually handled properly and mapped properly by preferably an enterprise architect using capability analysis. I like that. So, and, and so companies merging are like galaxies colliding. Now, you talked a lot about um, business capabilities and you talked about your role many times of being that of the translator. I've often heard said that business capabilities are like the Rosetta Stone, like the common language that both technology people and business people um, uh, can communicate over because we all recognize that business capability. Is that, is that what you found? Um, business capabilities are not used anywhere near as much as they should be. But if they are, then yes, business capability is where the the layers of architecture meet up. So in the in the TOGAF, the, the open group um, architecture framework way of thinking, then you have different layers within the architecture. So you might have motivation layer. So why do you want to do something? And then the business, the data, the applications and the technology. And often we can look at those different layers um, separately. And within the TOGAF ADM, you might look at each phase and do views in each phase separately as well. Um, the capability map is a place where you can start to pull together elements from all of those different layers because it combines the, the concepts of, of people and process and technology and data and, and, and. Um, it means that you can start to bring that data in and cross-reference it and collect it together. So um, there was a, a piece of work I did at a at, a, at one of the government ministries. And I drew a diagram which showed how their business capabilities lined up with the applications that they were using. Um, and it was the first time that that organization had ever seen that connectivity before the people would be managed separately by HR and the applications would be managed separately by IT. And both, you know, this very siloed organization, you're looking at different management groups, different budgets and so on. And there was no alignment between who was using tools to do what. Right. <laughs> it's, right. It sounds obvious, but when you start to link those things together, that's when you can start to see all kinds of things. You use duplication of function. You can see uh, processes that are convoluted and take too much time. Um, and, and huge savings can be made just by looking doing capability analysis, also looking across value streams. So a value stream in enterprise architecture will connect between the different capabilities um, and you can start to join up the different processes that take place. Um, so here at ServiceNow, we, we focus on automating workflows. Um, so another way of looking at that would be look at a value stream end to end. And if you're trying to look at that, lift that idea up all the way to that value stream level, you can say end to end, that 
can be automated. How much of what we're seeing in this end-to-end value stream could be moved onto a platform, could be moved onto a different set of software? Um, how many of these processes could be joined together? And when right. you do that, the fragmentation goes away very quickly and you can rationalize very quickly. So what I'm hearing is our original question is, you know, how can enterprise architects, you know, position themselves participating in digital transformation? The first thing we talked about is not just a, a nice to have, it's a must have, because what enterprise architects can do is understand the interconnectedness between all of these different things like applications and processes and technologies. And that will ultimately manifest itself in business capabilities. And then the second thing you talked about, which was which is really interesting for me, was they also have a communication role. Um, above and beyond, you know, TOGAF and architecture diagrams and things like that to communicate between the different layers. And as you said, to be that translator from the business down to the technology and make sure everyone understands um, what's what's going on. Uh, and then finally, we talked about business capabilities being possibly that Rosetta Stone, that common language or lexicon that we can use to orientate ourselves. Did I miss anything that sounds about what we talked about? There is something that's before and you get into the, the detail of understanding about applications and how things fit together. If someone's considering doing a major digital transformation, I would start all the way up at the motivational side as high as possible and really understand what it is that the, the organization's higher level strategy is first and then what's driving them to change what are the pain points what's they experiencing at the moment which isn't working and then in relation to that what goals would they like to achieve when all of those things are connected together you have your strategy your drivers and your goals then you can make sure that any changes you make in that transformation are aligned with the company strategy because what you really don't want to do is start making a whole bunch of changes which don't relate to the strategy at all because then you're going off on a tangent, but it's very easy to do. So one of the nice things about architecture is it lifts the, it lifts the, the desire for change and, and, and the motivation for it away from, let's say, an individual person or a small or non-representative group of people and lifts up to the views of the whole organization. You get a right. really holistic view. And then you can be sure that any changes you make are actually in line with what the whole organization is trying to achieve. I see. So it, 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 it shines a bright spotlight on the reasons for change and make sure that that's aligned to the overall um, corporate strategy. Well, fantastic. Michelle, could you give us three key takeaways? And that can be the first one if you want. We've got to start with motivation before we get down to execution. But uh, if you want to give us three key takeaways, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, that first one, you get that holistic view. Um, You don't want the, the opinion of just one or a few people. You don't want it to be the pet project of one person. You want it to be something beneficial to the whole organization. The second one is that if you use enterprise architecture, particularly with standards, then what you have is a common language which can be understood by all the different teams working on a transformation. Um, and that way they can share their diagrams and their data and they can work together on one project and you don't have a very fragmented project. So things run on rails when when you're using enterprise architecture. Um, and the third and most important thing about using architecture in any context is it helps you to plan changes in advance. So you can map out what you have now, but then you can map out options for the future and you can make those tweaks on paper um, before you start to um, implement things. Implementation is very expensive and very difficult. So do it on paper first. It helps you get it right first time um, and it helps you to validate your ideas and disprove them if necessary. Um, And you can help build a business case as well with evidence. Um, So yeah. 
I, I like that. So getting it wrong on paper is a lot cheaper than getting it wrong in real life. I guess that's the, the takeaway from that third one. Um, Michelle, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I'm sure our viewers will really listen like the insights that you provided. But once again, Michelle, have a great day and thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michelle. And I thought it was really interesting at the end when she started to talk about the need to start all the way up at understanding the motivational side as high as possible, what the high level strategy is, what's driving change and what the pain points are. All of that has to get sorted before jumping into execution. Wise words indeed. For more podcasts, blogs and recorded webinars, please visit us at bizdesign.com where there's a wealth of information available. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd encourage you to leave a review on the podcast platform you use. If you'd like to tell your EA story and feature on this podcast, then please email me, Will Scott, at podcast at bizdesign.com. Bizdesign is a leader in the area of enterprise architecture software that supports enterprise architecture teams in delivering value to their organizations, with a key focus on the value outcomes of strategy advancement, operational efficiency, and reducing risk. Thanks for your time today. Thank you.